welcome to the PSD Cast with your host, Jason Lumberg at Power Systems Design. Now, autonomous vehicles are continuing to progress, and as they do, some thorny issues are beginning to crop up, like liability. Who pays the piper when a self-driving car causes an accident, the occupants of the manufacturer? And here's where it gets really convoluted. With driver assistance features or semi-autonomous vehicles, who's responsible for damages when the driver treats it like a fully autonomous vehicle and takes their eyes off the road or their hands off the wheel? This has already happened several times, and the question becomes, is the driver at fault or is the manufacturer for not giving sufficient warnings? Here to discuss these issues and several related ones is Kevin Vincent, the director of Coventry University's Center for Connected and Auto- Autonomous Automotive Research. So, Kevin, thanks for joining us. And let's start with this. Could you discuss the overall state of the autonomous vehicle market? How close are we to deploying true driverless cars? Thank you, Jason, and thanks for having me. Yeah, that's a very good question. I think it can be answered by looking at the state of the market at several different levels, because uh, true driverless cars, I think, are, are, are many years away. Uh, and I, we can get into the detail of that later, but we are very, very close to, to conditional automation. So in the in Europe, uh, Mercedes have now certified uh, advanced lane-keeping systems, uh, which will... Um, for your listeners, is level three is conditional automation. The driver uh, or the user does not have to be in control of the vehicle while the vehicle is doing the dynamic driving task. So you can engage it and you can sit back, you know, chill, watch a video, deal with his emails, uh, and doesn't have to monitor the road. So that presents a whole sort of, you know, slew of potential human factors issues as well as liability issues. Because at some stage, that vehicle may decide to hand over control back to the user in charge. So in the UK, the UK Law Commission have come up with some recommendations that actually define who is liable. So the current recommendation, which is not law, but it's, you know, I don't anticipate any sort of rocks in its passageway through, is that while the level three system is engaged, the manufacturer is liable for any faults or accidents the vehicle will know when the transition to control has been handed back to the user in charge. And from that point on, if anything happens, it's the user in charge who's liable under the normal insurance. The, the slightly gray area is, uh, is the user, the user in charge, actually fit to take control of the vehicle um, and potentially have to make a life-saving decision uh, to avoid an incident when he's been, you know, otherwise occupied for quite a long time. So in, in the UK at the moment, we're contributing to the British Standards Institute and trying to push that sort of agenda up for driver monitoring, which is going to be quite critical for safe deployment of these systems. And we're expecting them on higher level cars to be certainly in, in Germany this year, in the UK, probably within the within the following year or two. Interesting. Now, you've seen some of the incidents, uh, like, like in the U.S. with the fatal Tesla crash, where local authorities initially claimed that neither man was in the front seat, and further investigation ruled that not only was someone in the driver's seat, but autopilot couldn't possibly have been engaged. But nonetheless, it made the headlines that nobody was in the front seat. Um, but I think the public is overly skeptical of new technologies that automate human functions. That's what really scares them, and that's the crux of the issue. So what do you think it'll take to convince the public that fully autonomous vehicles are, are safer than 
with Cuban drivers, um, especially since most of the vehicles making the news aren't fully autonomous. I, I think what it will take is experience. Uh, and and you can more or less categorize the users into you know, er, early adopters, you know, more mature users, and then you know, the laggards. And and you'll find that there, there will be incidents, there's bound to be, but what we found in our research at Cambridge University in our in our simulators, when we put people through um, uh, automated driving systems in different scenarios, is that the level of trust increases quite quickly. So, so the initial distrust is high. And then after a reasonable period of time of you know, incident-free travel, the trust level actually swings the other way to overtrust. So there's, there, there's some potential issues there uh, in, in the perception of the market. And I think what you might find is that there will be enthusiasts uh, and there will be naysayers who will deny the system. And how we get over that uh, is going to be very important in our messaging and evidence that we gather on how safer these systems are. And if you consider that 90, 95% of all road incidents are human error, we don't have to have a, a huge decrease in that through safer automation to make a real worthwhile benefit to society. Okay. Well, um, let me run two scenarios by you. And I think I know the answer to this. You, you sort of... You sort of already mentioned this, but just to underline the point, one, a vehicle with a driver assistance feature or something similar causes an accident where the driver had taken their hands off the wheel, their eyes off the road, but maybe the vehicle did or didn't warm him enough. And two, a hypothetical fully autonomous vehicle that's not supposed to need any intervention on the part of the driver. He could go to sleep, causes an accident. Who's at fault in both of those scenarios? And for insurance purposes, where's the liability? So, so dealing with the latter first, the you know if if, if the if the automated driving system is is fully engaged, that liability uh, I, I believe should sit with the manufacturer, and I think that's the way it's going to go certainly here in the UK. Uh, for any other form of sort of conditional automation where the user uh, or at, at sort of level two, level two plus, uh, you know. So more of a sort of feature-based like um, highway chauffeur, that liability is going to still sit with with the user in charge and through his insurance company. Okay. Um, well, this might be self-explanatory, but um, before I let you go, what's your definition of a truly autonomous vehicle? <laughs> well, this is the one, uh, Jason, that I like the most. My, my my definition, being as I'm, I'm although I'm not. Per se, you know, a 100% died in the wall academic, uh, having spent 20 years in the automobile industry and five of them in Detroit, is I still am a bit of a pedant. So a truly autonomous vehicle is one that can make its own decisions and go where it wants. And, and of course, that might not actually be where the. So I'll kind of temper that down a bit. Uh, so the truly autonomous vehicle is one that can go from point A to point B as the user wishes under any conditions any time of day, any environmental condition, and in any uh, infrastructure or scenario that you might think of. And that is still a long, long way off. I think we can, we can temper that down a little bit, and within the next sort of four to five years, expect to see vehicles that will do most of that sort of point A to point B completely driverless, but in, in a well-defined, perhaps geofenced uh, fashion within a 
you know, a certain, as I say, operational design domain. That makes sense. Well, thanks, Kevin. Uh, on behalf of PSD, I want to thank you for your time. And to our audience, thanks for tuning in. Stay safe and healthy and have a great day.